Over the last few weeks, we talked about believing that we're to believe. We're all believers. We believe in something. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not today. You're a believer in something. And, um, but in the days of Jesus, after he had died and was resurrected, uh, the people of that day that believed in Jesus were given the title, The Way, or Believers. And the reason they were given believers is because they believed in things that were impossible, and they happened. And so they called them the believers. They believed Jesus was raised from the dead. Many of them became martyrs because of that belief. But they were believers. What do you believe so tightly to that you would die for it? That's what God's called us to be as believers, to believe so much that he was the son of God that we'd even give our life for that truth. The second thing we talked about is belonging. That belonging is about ownership. And when you own something, you, it belongs to you. And in order to belong to a people, you have to give a certain level of ownership to them to be able to impact you, to interact with you, to influence you as you do to them. It's a, it's a given and take. And belonging, the reason you hear so many people say they want to belong and yet don't belong is because they don't want to belong. They want to keep the ownership over everything that they are, and they want to be able to influence it, but they don't want to ever to be influenced or have any ownership. So they don't really want to belong, but they feel like that's what they're missing. But they don't really want to give up that independence. Well, today I want to talk about becoming. And if you turn in your Bible to John 1, 12, and uh, you'll have to uh, forgive my voice. We have a number of staff actually today not feeling well. Uh, our campus pastor in Richfield, he's been in the hospital all week with his wife. Their son was there uh, struggling to breathe, and God brought him out, praise the Lord. And uh, just keep declaring divine health over your bodies, amen? We believe God can do that. John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed, any believers in here? In his name... This is what he says. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. So we're basing this really off the premise, because what do children do? They learn how to become adults. They mature. They grow up. We had uh, this last week our youth pastor in Apple Valley. Uh, they just gave birth to a little baby boy named Porter, four pounds and a few ounces, cute little thing. And that child is going to become an adult. It just naturally happens. We're becoming something. The question, thank you, the question I would ask you is, what are you becoming? Who are you becoming? doesn't matter how old you are. The question is, in this current stage right now in your life, who are you becoming? You know, there's a, a, a disease they've, they've labeled. You know, they label everything every, anymore. They started labeling snowstorms. In Minnesota, there won't be, well, this year, thankfully, we don't have any names. But too many people suffer from destination disease. Destination disease. They reach a certain level, obtain the goal, and then they're, co they're coasting off of what they've learned. Studies tell us that 50% of people, after they graduate from high school, will never read an entire book the rest of their life. One reason is that we see learning as a period of life instead of as a way of life. 
We learned when we were in school. We had coaches and teachers. We had parents who taught us. And now that I've done all of that stuff, I don't really need it anymore. I don't need to do it. I know everything I need to know. The problem is you don't know what you don't know. When I did my master's degree, I realized there was a lot of things I wish I had to learn a lot sooner in life. How are you growing? How are you reading? How are you taking classes? Do you have mentors? Are you just coasting through life relying on what you've already learned? You know, are you just thinking, I know everything I need to know right now. I don't need any young whippersnapper, meaning me, (laughs) telling me that I should keep learning. There was a day when I didn't need to say that. John Maxwell said this in one of his books. He said, the greatest buried treasure on earth are not found in the oil fields of the Middle East or in the diamond fields of the South Africa. The wealthiest places on earth are in cemeteries. Buried in the ground are businesses that were never formed, songs that were never sung, books that were never written, potential that was never realized, God dreams that never came to pass. Because people just went to their grave with the potential of what God put inside of them. Because they never wanted to grow past where they were. And yet, you are growing into some image. You're just not being intentional about it. You're letting the winds of culture shape the way you think and form the paths you walk on rather than allowing the Lord to be the lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. God wants to shape you into his image so that you're able to accomplish what he created you for. You see, you can never be fulfilled in your life following the purposes of this world. You can only fulfill the purposes of your creator in order to experience fulfillment. What were you created to do? Pablo Casas one of the greatest cellist player ever lived, started playing at the age of 12. He accomplished things that no other musician accomplished in his life, and he was known around the world for being one of the best celloists that ever lived. At 85, he would still get up every morning and practice for five hours a day. A reporter, after discovering this, asked him, why do you put so much effort into practicing? And he responded with the statement, I think I'm still getting better. He understood the principle that when you stop learning, you stop really becoming what you want to become. The question I'd have for you is, what do you want to become? See, you're becoming something even when you're 96, and somewhere in this room we have somebody who's even older than that. What do you you want to become? Have you ever asked yourself, or if you just woke up every morning and said, carpe diem, whatever it is, is, whatever will be, will be, whatever happens, happens, just live my life for the day, whatever, what a waste and what an incredible lie the enemy has told you. Because the enemy does not want you to have a vision of what you could become. He wants you just to throw away your life to whatever the day says. Whatever the cultural wind, wherever they take you, let it be, let it be. God has a plan for your life. He created you with a vision. God didn't create you to stop growing and learning and becoming just because you hit a certain age or you got a certain degree. We must pay attention to what forces we allowed to dictate our becoming. You know, 
Um, you ever saw them? How many in here saw the movie Footloose? <coughs> it's an old movie. And it's sad that we're calling the 80s old, but it, it's 40 years ago. It's crazy, isn't it? How many say that's crazy? 80 years ago, wow. Wow. But the movie Footloose, you ever you watch it, there's like da- they're dancing, right? And back in that day, if you danced, man, you were going to hell. <laughs> Even though they danced in the spirit all the time. I remember my grandmother says, you can only dance in the spirit. And I said, the funny thing is I've never seen anyone do that. <laughs> but but they like dancing, you're, it was bad. And, and the girl wanted to go to the dance. You all, if you've seen this movie, she wants to go to dance, but it's bad. And who's the girl's father? preacher. It's amazing how there are very subtle inferences that the world is used to undermine spiritual leaders in our culture today. So when they make statements, you discard it as he's just being a preacher. It's true. Happens all the time. You know when else they did this and with great success? Some of the movies you show your kids, when your kids are watching TV shows or movies where the parent is wrong and the kid is right, and the parents got to go to the kid and apologize to the kid for being wrong because the kid knew best. Undermining, they're just being parents. They don't know any better. It's rebellion. It is a spirit of rebellion that has perpetuated through our culture and has shaped what we've become for years. Boy, it got quiet in here. The culture went. And so, so when a pastor says, listen, don't open the door to that because there is spiritual connotation to that. I've seen it in other people's lives and I'm making aware of it. We said, there he goes, just being a preacher, just telling us what I don't believe anything he has to say. Do you know what else that happened? In the Garden of Eden, when God said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge. And they said, you know what? God's just holding out on us. He just doesn't want us to have any fun. God doesn't want us. He's holding back. So we're going to do it. But the problem is, once you open that door, you think you can leave the room if you don't like it and just shut the door. Once you open up the door and you enter the room, you're not the one who can leave it and shut the door. Only by the grace of God and the power of God to set you free will that happen. There are some doors you just don't need to walk through because the moment you do, Satan's crouching at that door. Ask a number of people in this room who are addicted to pornography because they just opened the door and now they can't get out, begging God to set them free. When he said, don't even open the door. Don't open that door, because what you open the door do to, you create an appetite for. What are we becoming? Mark 1.17 says, come, follow me. And Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men. I will... 
I will make you to become fishermen. What he's saying, I will make you people who bring people into the kingdom of God. How do you know you're a believer in Christ? I win souls. I win souls. Well, that's not my gifting. It's everyone's gift. Because it's not a gift. It's an identity. Fishers of men. What am I? I'm a fisher of men. It's our identity. The Bible says, come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So you come into the kingdom of God and you're saved. And then God causes us to become people that bring people into the light. There are really two forces of influence in our life, force of darkness and a force of light, and they're both tugging at you. Live deceived, and it will lead to destruction. Live aware, and it will lead to light. You know, you look at the advent of artificial intelligence, and some of you are thinking, oh, pastor's finally going to come down in artificial intelligence. There is no way to do that, because on one hand, artificial intelligence is incredible. On the other hand, it is so destructive, we have no idea what's about to happen. But isn't that the case with the internet? On one hand, the internet has been revolutionary in what we've been able to do. On the other hand, it's been the greatest cause of depression and some of the things we're dealing with. It's like everything in the world. On one hand, if you're not led through this valley we're going through by God, you're going to find yourself tasting of some of the most destructive things you'll ever go through. Do you really think we can walk through everything we're walking through on our own? We need God to lead us. We have to become like him. So let me ask you a question. How many in here were born self-centered? Right? We'll ask your parents about that. Because some of you in this room thought you were so important that your parents should get up at the middle of the night and feed you. You might have been cute, but you were self-centered. You know, people who say, and, and, I've, and I've said this multiple weeks, and I'll continue to say it because it's the greatest lie, I believe, in this generation, one of the greatest lies ever told to man is that there are good people in the world. There are no good people in the world. Zero. And guess what? You can hate me all you want for saying that. But if you hate me, you'll hate Jesus for saying that. Because he said the same thing. He said, there are no good people in the world. There are none, not even one. If you think you're good, you think you deserve the gift Christ had for you, but you didn't deserve what he gave you because we were all self-centered, self-focused. We wanted what we want. Let me, let's take a test. How, true or false? Are human beings basically self-centered? True, right? Okay, here's the second question. Are you a human being? <laughs> right? Literally, literally, we are, we are human, we're human beings and we are self-centered. When you get to that point of realizing that it is all about me, when you woke up this morning, I would bet that you were thinking about yourself. I bet when you woke up this morning, you did not think, first thought in your mind, boy, I sure hope my wife slept well last night. I wonder what she would like this morning to make her feel even more happy and excited about her day. Some of you guys are looking at me like, why would I do that? She doesn't do it for me. And that is precisely what we're talking about this morning. 
You know, uh, Jesus, the disciples were walking with Jesus, and Jesus must have been up ahead a little bit. And uh, as they're walking through, the, they're having a conversation. And Jesus, they must have thought Jesus wasn't paying attention, but he was. And they're talking about a bunch of stuff. And really what they were talking about is who is the greatest among them. And in Mark 9, 33, he says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, guys, um, what was it you were talking about, you were arguing about on the road? And, uh, and, and verse 34, it says, But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So he, he, Jesus sits down with them, and they said, well, What were you guys talking about? And, and they're like, Uh... Mm. Uh, Philip, why don't you tell Jesus, oh, I don't know, I think we talked about the weather a little bit. It was unseasonably warm, and we weren't getting the snow we normally get. And, and, and Peter, didn't you bring up how, how you like that new fish place? You know Peter, he likes tilapia on everything. And, and, and there was a new fish place, and so he kind of liked that. And I think, I think John, you know, was dealing with his last hernia surgery and wasn't really taking very well, you know, and all of that stuff. And Jesus says, no, you weren't. You weren't talking about that. He says, let me tell you what you were talking about, something other than weather and fish and surgeries. Whoever among you wants to be great, you need to become a servant. And it's right there. It goes, yank, yank, yank. <laughs> there are two forces working in the world today. A celebrity force that says, if you want to be great, you got to be known. And a kingdom force that says, if you want to be great, you make others Christ known. I serve. I serve. In the face of meism, unintentional living always leads to meism. It's about me. You look at married people, marriages, and I get to, you know, I, not so much anymore. The campus pastors are handling a lot of it now, but I've had chance. You go through marriage, almost every marriage, every marriage problem always happens because I focus on what I want and what I'm not getting. It's always a focus. Like, I married them to get something out of this, and I'm not getting it, so now I don't enjoy this marriage and the problem with that thinking is if you're both living to get something out of it, neither of you are putting something into it, but you think you are. I need my space. I need what is best for me. You know, I need to look out for number one. This one I'll never understand. I just, do you know there's some stupid things that we say? Like, you just do you. What does that mean? All right, here's another one. I need to find myself. Can I help you with that? <laughs> if you're asking that question, uh, just right here. You're right here. <laughs> right? So when, you, when we make stupid, illogical statements, it's because we've been lied to and we're falling in this trap of oppression where we believe these things that just make no sense whatsoever. Do you know, James and John, they wanted to be 
the greatest. And they all viewed Jesus as a revolutionary leader that was going to overthrow the Roman government. So at some point, they figured that Jesus was going to gather all the Jews together and they were going to defeat the Romans. And when that time happened, Jesus would become king of Israel and they wanted to sit on the right and left side. They recognized, Jesus, you're number one. But we want to be number two. Will you put us on both sides? And they thought, let's be smart about this. Before all the other disciples do this, let's go. In fact, they even had their mother bake some sugar date cookies and bring them to Jesus because it was his favorite. Because they, they wanted to give like Jesus the cookies. You know, it's his favorite cookies. Bring them on. And then you ask him too. And, and they go, can, can you do this? And, and James and John, they came to him and said, teacher, this is what they said. You, you got to love this. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Who wouldn't? <laughs> of course you do, right? And Jesus responds, what do you want me to do for you? No, first, say you're going to do whatever we ask. <laughs> he says, grant us that we may sit on one, of your right, one on your right and the other on your left in your glory. And Jesus had to look at them and go, do you guys even know what you're asking? You know how many times we ask God for things and we don't even know what we're asking? Matthew 25 actually identifies this. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes into the kingdom, he's going to put sheep on his right and goats on his left. And to the sheep, he's going to introduce and welcome into the kingdom of heaven. But to the goats, they're going to go to everlasting fire. <laughs> Which one of you wants to be on the left? Right? They didn't even know how many times have we prayed things and got to wonder. In verse 22, Jesus says, you don't even know what you ask. How many times out of meism have we asked things that would only bring us destruction? How many times have we prayed prayers that were selfish, not considering anyone else but only me? Lord, make that girl fall in love with me. Why would he do that to that girl? <laughs> Why would he punish her like that? <laughs> there's, there's something. We're self-centered. We're born self-centered. But we're born again Christ-centered. That when we come to Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, we become like Christ. The goal is to become like him. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Rather, thinking about yourself less. You say, you mean I can be born again just like that? If you're not someone who believes in God right now, and all you've ever known is catechisms or classes or Bible studies, Muhammad taught teachings, and when he died, they continued to follow Muhammad because they followed his teachings. Buddha had teachings, and when he died, they followed his teachings. When Jesus died, they scattered like sheep. Because Jesus wasn't a teaching. He was a person. They weren't following his teachings. They were following a someone. The difference between a relationship with Christ and religion is we're not following the teachings of Jesus. We're following a person. It's a big difference. Because there's a lot of Christians who followed the religion of Christianity because they just followed the teachings, but they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They behave like a Christian. They smell like a Christian. They dress like a Christian. They don't do all the things Christians don't do, and they hide all the things Christians hide. 
but they have no relationship. And there's a scripture in the Bible that says, we will come to the door in eternity and we'll knock and you'll say, who are you? And he said, but we prophesied in your streets. We did all the ministry. We did all the stuff. He said, but I don't know you. Leave. I'm not about getting butts in the seats of this church. I'm about getting butts in the kingdom of God. And if that's going to happen, you're going to have to meet Jesus. And when you do, you will be born again, and something will radically shift in your life. It will not be an accident. It won't be something you just agree with. It will be an experience that will convince you the rest of your life, I know Jesus, I met him, and I had an experience in my life, and it changes you, and your pursuits change. You may be a Christ follower, but you're not one with Christ. There are a lot of followers of Jesus. They love the show. They love the miracles. They love the signs and wonders. They were, the wonders were impressive of wisdom that he had. He could even stump. They loved how he stumped the Pharisees. He was the best show in town. And if you had asked many of those people who had followed Jesus from town to town, they would have told you they were followers of Christ. But when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they were gone. They were gone. See, salvation is the change of management in my life. I am no longer the owner. I have the Holy Spirit. You know, there's some people who have a hard time with the statement that the Holy Spirit lives in you. <laughs> when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit, God, comes and lives in you. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means he goes wherever you go. And he hears everything you say. <laughs> More people are afraid of what they say when they find out I'm a pastor than they do when they find out the Holy Spirit God is in me. <laughs> right? It's amazing how many people. Well, my wife, we bought a car. How many people, when they find out you're a pastor, all of a sudden they tell you how much they pray? Like, you know, I don't get you into heaven, right? <laughs> Like, why are you worried what I think? Why are you worried what I think? I think there's someone else who sees everything. <laughs> and you know what's amazing? This is for one person in this room. Maybe they're watching. God isn't sitting there looking at that person going, I can't believe you just did that. You know what he's thinking? I can't believe they're rejecting Jesus. Is there a greater gift on the planet than the gift of Christ? Think about it. He is the creator of the universe. He has the power to do immeasurably more than anything you could ask or imagine. He came to earth because he loved you. When you're the worst. He loved you before you ever did all that bad stuff. He loved you. Because you belong to him. And he says, I'll take away all your sin, all your death, all your guilt and shame. Just believe in me. 
and you say, no. No, I'm not going to. Really? I think God's sitting there going, Like, I, I put it all on the table. God said, I'm all in. And that's not enough for you? It's like the child that gets a brand new car for their fifth birthday. <laughs> now. And this is way better than that. Are you with me? Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ and you belong to him, let me give you a word of encouragement. He is faithful to complete you all by himself if you will submit to him. Look at this. However, his word is what changes us. Whether it's in the word of God or the word we hear through his voice to us. If you abandon his word, you abandon the source of change in your life. If you abandon his word, you abandon the source of change in your life. This is what he said. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Wouldn't you, if Two of the guys you were traveling with tried to get the best seats and kind of left them behind. In verse 42, Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servants, and whoever you desire to be, desires to be first shall be slaves of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A growing, mature Christian will become less and less self-centered when he becomes more and more christ Sinner. In fact, Paul makes the statement in Romans 1.1. He said, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I take the position of a slave and a servant because I'm a son of the living God. You know, when it comes to serving, more and more people are allowing their schedules to keep them from becoming great. Why? Because the winds of our culture says that if you want to be great, you have to be known for something. You have to have done something better than other people. And in order for great, that means I have to be better than others. But in the kingdom of God, in order to be great, I go and serve others. You know, we really have to stop and ask ourselves this question. Am I becoming like Jesus? Am I becoming like Jesus? How many would agree that our celebrity culture has become, in, in a form, the paganism of today? We worship our celebrities. We spend a horrible amount of time trying to get tickets to a Taylor Swift concert. And we can't show up on time to church. But we'll refresh a screen for eight hours and spend a horrible amount of money to buy tickets 
and we can't even tithe. What? Did it get quieter in here? You know how when lightning strikes and you hear that silence after your house has been struck? You know how it's like that's what it almost sounded like. Whether they're artists, musicians, actors and actresses, sports stars, social media influences, they're all shaping us. It's a collective of voice declaring to us what we're supposed to be like. And if you don't line up within our parameters, then we'll just cancel you. You know, I, I watched this. I, I watched almost appalled as they're interviewing J-Lo, who's been married multiple times. And I don't know if the, the interviewer was high or inebriated in some way, but he decided, to th- he, he thought, asking the question of J-Lo, is there any marital advice you would give to people? <laughs> wow. More than ever, people are using their influence to speak on things they know little to nothing about. Meanwhile, biblical literacy is at an all-time high, and people who believe they're followers of Christ are actually followers of Satan. Because there are only two. They're dabbling in satanic worship in the most subtle ways, opening the door to fear as a form of entertainment, accepting lifestyles in an attempt to be exclusive, whitewashing failure to obey God's word with the statement, under God's grace, and influenced more by our culture than the world of the culture of heaven. We spend more time taking in the messages that this culture is telling us than we ever even spend in the word because we believe, I've read the Bible already, I already know what it says. Or I've never read it and tell everybody I have. John 3.30 says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less. What he's saying, Jesus must become greater in me and I have to become less. You know, it's interesting. Jesus demonstrated this in John 13.12 through 14. And you may have noticed the bulls when you're coming in. We had a bunch of bulls out there. We're all going to wash feet this morning. And so pick somebody in the room and then you'll wash their feet. Oh, that's not even, if you know me, that's never happening. Like, I'm never doing a foot washing service. I literally, when our pastor, when I first went in the ministry, our pastor said, we're doing a foot washing service. I told him that night I got sick and I couldn't come. <laughs> it's like saying the Lord's Prayer and thinking we prayed. The Lord's Prayer, is saying the Lord's Prayer is not praying. The Lord's Prayer is merely an outline Jesus was giving them for how we should pray. Jesus, when he washed their feet, see, in those days, when you traveled, uh, you would wash feet because you were wearing sandals, and when you'd go in the house, you didn't want to bring dirt in the house, so they would wash your feet at the door so you wouldn't bring dirt in the house. And they would hire a slave that would come and wash the feet of everybody coming in the house. Most people wouldn't even notice the slave. They'd come and sit down, they'd be talking to the host of the house, and the slave would just merely go about his business unnoticed. Well, in this moment, nobody apparently had washed the feet of Jesus or the disciples when they came in to do Passover. And Jesus, knowing this, gets up, he gets a bowl and he gets a towel and he comes and he washes. And Peter stops and says, Lord, you won't wash my feet. And he says, unless I wash your feet, you'll never enter heaven. You know what's interesting? One of the great signs we've always said of a believer 
is they cast out demons, they raise the dead, they no deadly thing harms them, and they heal the sick. The Bible says that, and that is true. And there's others where we read, where we just read it today, that when you're, Christ is causing us to become fishers of men, and it's true. It says we're sons and daughters of God, we'll be witnesses, we're little, little children. It refers to us. There's all kinds of things that shape the identity of who we are. But you know the one thing that rarely ever gets mentioned of people as proof that they're believers in Christ? And it's often the thing we just would all rather disregard is this one thing. Servant to all. That God really has called me to serve everyone. I was just watching the Rosenberg report out of Israel last night, right before I went to bed. And a woman... Who had a Jewish woman had been resisting the message that a missionary had been bringing to him, a Jewish missionary had been bringing to him, just resisting, resisting, resisting. And she said, they asked the woman who had led this woman to the Lord, said, when she rejected you, what did you do? And she said, I just returned her rejection with service. I just serve her more. I just serve her more. Eventually, she gave in and gave her life to Jesus. Three weeks later, she was one of the 15 shot at the bus stop by Hamas. You know where she is today? Because someone made the decision to do what Jesus did and wash her feet. That's what serving is. Washing the feet of those who can't wash themselves. Christ says, unless I wash your feet, you won't ever be saved. What he was teaching him is, I'm going to wash your feet. And then what did he tell them? Now go and do the same as I have done to you. If the church of believers would just start washing the feet of other people, this thing would explode. But we live in a culture that is telling us, if you want to be great, you need a platform. You need to be known. Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen, church. There is a father. I, I just feel like something's got to happen in our heart. Because we're going through Christmas. We've been serving everything we love and everything that we take in, but we, we haven't thought about anybody else. There is a father who had a son, and one day his son came to him on a Sunday afternoon and asked him, Dad, are you Jesus? And the father said, asked the son why he was asking the question. The son, well, he said our teacher this morning in Sunday school told about how Jesus takes care of us, forgives us, loves us, and makes us safe. He looks at you, I look at you, Dad, you do that for me. Are you Jesus? And the father said, no, I'm not Jesus, but I hope that when I'm finished raising you, that you will ask me that question again. Because even though I'm not Jesus, I'm trying to be like him. Many years had passed, and the son was now getting married. Stage is set. Son is getting ready to go onto the platform to take his bride. And the father opened the door for him to step out, and the son took it and shut it before his dad could go out the door. And he looks at him, and he looks in his father's eyes, and he says, Dad, are you Jesus? I don't know why, but there's this sense that we stop 
desiring to become like Jesus a long time ago and become content with only following his teachings. If greatness is accomplished through serving people by washing their feet or ministry, and our schedules are so full, and our capacity is so packed, we can't serve or minister to people, who is dictating my life to keep me from becoming like Jesus, preventing me from becoming great? What is the goal of our life? Is it to be like Jesus? Or has the enemy convinced us that we will never be like Jesus? So we use the excuse, well, that was Jesus and I'm not him. Have you made that statement ever? Because if you had, you just repeated what you'd been hearing from Satan. Because when you came to Christ, he said, I'm going to make you a new creation our goal is to become like Jesus because it is possible. Will you stand? You know, this Christmas, you're going to spend time with family. You're going to be around friends. It's more than just a holiday thing. Is, am I going to serve people in order to open a door to share Jesus with them. Because if I don't serve them, if I don't wash their feet, can I tell you what's not going to happen? Jesus isn't coming back to do it. He said, I'm going to put the Spirit in me when I was washing your feet. I'm going to put that Spirit in you so that you'll have the same impact when you wash theirs. This isn't a pastor thing. This isn't a paid thing. This is who we are as children of God. Chief servant. Do you agree? The response to this message will start with a prayer, but it ends with action out of who we are. I don't serve because that's what we do. I serve out, out of who I am. I serve out of who I am. So I serve in the nursery out of who I am. I serve my neighbors out of who I am. 